Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And this is the Afternoon Buzz without Buzz Eisenberg. Buzz is still on vacation up and down the East Coast, hopefully staying cool in this heat wave that we are all under. My name is Brian Adams, and I will be your host for what promised to be a really interesting hour of conversation. We're going to start, uh, get right into it uh, for our first half hour. And I think all of our listeners know or should know the infamous recent Supreme Court decision in June that overturned Roe versus Wade and now are allowing states to do what they want with abortion, including outlaw abortion. And we're very fortunate to have in the studio today two of the co-boards of directors, co-directors for the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts to talk about all things abortion. Kate Glenn and Marissa Pizzi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. So let's start with this overturning Roe v. Wade, your response to that decision. Well, we were just talking about how there are certain words that we're not allowed to say on the air. Um, So feel free to add those in in your imagination. Um, But from the movement perspective, so for those of us that have been paying attention to abortion access um, for the last several decades, this was not a surprise. Um, the anti-abortion movement has, and the conservative right wing has been saying very clearly for a very long time that they've been planning to do this. Um, but knowing that it's coming and experiencing it and watching the immediate and devastating impact on human rights and lives across the country, I'm still struggling to come up with words that I can say publicly on the air about my feelings about it. Um, it is unconscionable. Um, and yeah. And when you get to that point where you get past that anger and that frustration, where you land in is determination. Mm. And that's where I'm at. I'm at determination. There is nothing that's going to get in the way of me making sure people have access to their health care needs. Spoken like a true activist. Determination. That's what we need in this very difficult era and time that we live in. Um, the, the good news, if there is good news, is that in Massachusetts, at least, Uh, Even with the recent Supreme Court decision, uh, we still have the right. Women, uh, people who are seeking abortions, have that right to get an abortion in Massachusetts. In fact, we've recently expanded abortion rights. Marissa, can you talk a little bit about the recent Roe Act in Massachusetts, not to be confused with Roe v. Wade, but a a different act, and what it's done for abortion rights in our state? So the Roe Act in the state of Massachusetts, or as we've, as the coalition called it, the key provisions when we finally got to the point of making it into a budget amendment, has expanded abortion access across the state in multitude ways. So as a person in the state, you can now get an abortion without any kind of question about any reasoning behind it up to the 24 weeks. After 24 weeks, it becomes what the movement has been asking for, a decision between you and your medical provider on whether or not you want to move forward with your abortion given any kind of fetal anomaly or any of the other medical diagnoses that are incompatible with life. So you don't have to leave the state anymore if you find out that you have a diagnosis past 24 weeks in order to receive your medical services. In addition, it's also made anyone over the 16 and over able to get their abortion without any kind of judicial 
participation in their decision making. Or parental permission. Or parental permit. Right, right. It really makes sure that people get to actually have bodily autonomy and make their decisions based on their own lives. And for people who are 14 and 15, we did the best that we could and we made sure that they had the easiest process towards judicial bypass. And now people who are 14 and 15 in the state can do that via online and Zoom and they do not have to go to the courthouse anymore. So we've done some really great things to expand. In addition, I just want to add one more thing. The state of Mass has already been knocking it out of the park because we already paid for abortions through Medicaid. You could get state funding for your abortion. So we are doing the work that the movement is looking for. One thing about uh, abortion and access to abortion, it's it's not a right if you can't pay for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts uh, comes in. Uh, Kate, can you talk about the Abortion Rights Fund and what services the fund provides? Sure. Uh, the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts is in the business of paying for abortions. Um, as you said, it's not a right if you can't pay for it. And we do not take it lightly that we live in a state that has codified the right to bodily autonomy into our state statutes. Um, but it still isn't a right if you can't pay for it. So that's where we come in. Uh, someone who is seeking an abortion that needs help with the financial cost of the abortion. Uh, and I'll pause here to say uh, a abortion early in pregnancy, so up to 12 or 13 weeks, starts at $700 out of pocket at Planned Parenthood. Now, Planned Parenthood is not the only abortion provider in the state, but they're the ones that people think about commonly when they think about accessing abortion care. So $700 out of pocket as a base, that's what we start with. And that's not something you can save up for. Um, so we take generous donations from community members across the state and across the country and directly pay for people's health care. Let's talk about where abortion clinics are. You mentioned Planned Parenthood, and that's located in Springfield. Is that correct? Yep. The Planned Parenthood in Western Mass is located in Springfield. There are other locations in Worcester and in Eastern Mass, but around here, our Planned Parenthood location is in Springfield. And if a person seeking an abortion uh, is in need of funds, how do they get in touch with you? How do they contact the fund? Uh, Marissa? So you can do one of two things. You can definitely do some research on our website, and you can find our phone number, and you can text us, or you can call us, and someone will get back to you in 24 hours. And you are an all-volunteer organization? We are. Is that correct? That's pretty impressive to be doing the work that you're doing without any paid staff. Thank you. Yeah. And it just, to me, it's a reflection of community commitment to access and justice. Are you still looking for volunteers? Are there ways for, for people to help out? You know, that that's a good question. Um, we have been um, experiencing a wave of support um, since really the leak, the Dobbs leak, which happened in May. Um, and that has meant that we've had a lot of people raise their hands and say, I'd like to help. I'd like to volunteer. I'd like to give money. Um, I'd like to get involved some way. To be able to meaningfully engage with folks, we're being very mindful and intentional about how we are building out our volunteer network. We already have a team, what we call the intake team, those folks that Marissa mentioned that are on the phone and text and will respond to uh, requests for help within 24 hours. And that's a team of dedicated volunteers that we um, have an intensive training and support process with. So it's not something that someone can just jump right into. Um, and we're practicing leaning into the support, as Marissa said, this like deep commitment to justice that this community has, that this wave of interest in, volunteer, in volunteering has had. 
And if folks are interested, they can go to our website. There's a um, volunteer information request kind of, there's a little a tab that says, I want to get involved. You can fill it out. Um, feel free to do that. And we ask that people remember that we're being inundated right now with amazingly generous offers of help. Like pretty much all other abortion access organizations across the country, um, we're asking folks to be patient with us while we understand what the changing needs are. Um, we don't, you know, truly there's no succinct answer of what the state of abortion access is across the country. It's literally changing every day. The lawyers don't even know what the legal ramifications are and what the rules are. Um, so be patient with us, be patient with other organizations, and also continue to reach out. Your support is truly seen and felt and really important for those of us who have been in the movement doing the work thus far. And I don't think uh, anyone is discouraged from making a financial donation. Oh, no. <laughs> that can no. be done quickly, and you don't have to wait around or get trained for that. You can go to the website. And, and we're really asking people to think about becoming monthly donors, mm -hmm. and not just monthly donors to funds, but mo monthly donors to independent clinics, to practical support, which would be things like childcare and transportation and lodging, to really make sure that the full experience of the abortion seeker is being covered and and met when they get to have their experience with dignity. So we're talking this afternoon with Kate Glenn and Marissa Pizzi. They are both co-chairs of the board directors of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. We're talking about abortion, abortion rights. And we've mentioned how in Massachusetts we have somewhat liberalized our abortion laws, but in other states have gone the exact other way. Can you talk about some of these other states and some of the of what is going on in terms of the restrictions that, as, as, as you said, no one really knows, the lawyers can't even make sense of it, but what are some of these restrictions that are, that are, that are coming down? Well, it's outright abortion bans, right? Like it's like, or doing these silly little things like Georgia and Texas where they're making these six-week heartbeat bans and they're trying to equate the life of a fetus with the life of a full human being and claiming that that priorities is prioritized over anything else. Um, there's also what's those trap laws, which are those laws that are positioned to make it more difficult, right? Like, so they, they set up all of these barriers in between the abortion and the abortion seeker to make sure that that abortion seeker has just enough barriers to probably just quit on the idea and give up. And we move into what's called forced carry, right? And that's, also one of the biggest issues that we're concerned about as we start to see the way that all of these states are creating these bans, creating these restrictions is we hear from the thing from the arguments like Amy Coney Barrett was saying on the SCOTUS arguments is, well, we can just have more adoption. We can just have more of these like other Safe services. Right, right. We can we can move in these different directions, but in reality, people don't find themselves in the place to want to actually adopt out, right? Like the research shows us that they, people aren't adopting their children out. They're continuing to choose to parent. And so they're choosing something that is the best decision out of what's on the table, but not what they wanted. And so that's what these, these, these restrictions and these bans are doing. They're not there to actually support families. And not only are, they, are some of these states trying to make abortion illegal, but aren't they trying to prevent abortion seekers from traveling out of state Absolutely. to get abortions? It's, yes. it's deeply concerning. The um, folks probably know about Texas. Um, uh, the, the, one of the 
novel laws, their law SB8, which passed and went into effect um, in September, which put a bounty on people um, assisting abortion seekers. So people like us who would pay for procedures, someone who would drive someone, an abortion provider, um, any of the, the network of aid. So that happened in September. The Supreme Court let that stand. And so that was just one example. But one of the, the deeply concerning pieces of this um, ultra-conservative movement is we're seeing these novel laws with this new new ways of thinking about how to restrict. So that's bounties, that's restricting interstate travel. Um, it's, it's truly terrifying to think of checkpoints between states and people being prosecuted across state lines for providing care, um, and it, it's deeply concerning. So it, it's... And the, the piece that is frightening is, again, these are these are things that we didn't necessarily think were legally possible in this country, and we're seeing that actually they are. One of the nice things that's happening in Massachusetts is in addition to the Roe Act that, again, was passed, what, two, two and a half years ago, I think mm -hmm. now, um, there is some additional legislation that is making its way through the, the House and the Senate to not only reaffirm the right to bodily autonomy, but also give protections to providers, to uh, clinicians to those of us in the abortion access world to protect us from other states persecuting us, um, legally like suing us. Um, so we're grateful. And that's now something that we need to worry about. My goodness, so much to worry about. And that is on the top of the list. We're talking this afternoon with Kate Glenn and Marissa Pizzi. They are uh, members and co-chairs of the board of directors of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. Stay with us and we will be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. This old maternity dress I've got is going in the garbage. The clothes I'm wearing from now on won't pick up so much yardage. Mini skirts, hot pants, and a few little fancy frills. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. How will the $2 million that the Amherst Town Council has committed to the Reparations Fund be spent? Join us when we speak with Town Councilor Michelle Miller, who also is the co-chair of the African Heritage Reparations Assembly. Michelle Miller will be the featured guest on our Black in the Valley segment, our show begins Monday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Need a gift? Weinzig Nursery has gifts that grow. Give a tropical plant for a birthday, housewarming, thank you, or a special occasion. Pick up a pottery pot in red, rust, green, blue, or ivory and put a plant in the pot. Create a terrarium for the indoor gardener. Choose a healthy houseplant for someone without a garden. Brighten someone's patio with a colorful plant. Bring a sympathy tree to a family to plant as a memorial. Not sure what to give? Pick up a Weinzig gift card. Gifts that grow are at Weinzig Nursery, Route 9 in Hadley and at WeinzigNursery.com. Who's your health care hero? Business West and the Healthcare News welcome your nomination for the 6th Annual Health Care Heroes Awards. On the front lines or behind the scenes, in the hospital, administrative office, the lab, the neighborhood clinic or medical office, who's making a vital contribution to the quality of life in our communities? It's time to recognize their efforts. The deadline for nominations is July 30th. 
Go to businesswest.com or healthcarenews.com to nominate your healthcare hero. This is Lori Grover, Senior Vice President of the Mortgage Department at Greenfield Savings Bank. This year's Buy in July Mortgage Special is just in time to help counter the recent rise in interest rates. Our Buy in July Mortgage Special offers you an incredible rate that will save you money on your mortgage. If you're in the market for a new home, don't delay because to qualify for your Buy in July Mortgage Special, your application must be received with an executed offer to purchase by July 29th, 2022 and must close before September 30th, 2022. For more information on our Buy in July Mortgage Special, go to our website at greenfieldsavings.com or call us at 413-775-8200 to speak to one of our mortgage specialists. You can apply online or in person at any of our offices and let the Buy in July savings begin. Greenfield Savings Bank's Buy in July special. Offer good on mortgages for the purchase of owner-occupied one to four family properties or condominiums. Offer is subject to change or cancellation at any time. See bank for complete details. Member FDIC, member DIF, equal housing lender. Greenfieldsavings.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHFD. Good afternoon. My name is Brian Adams, and I'm filling in for Buzz on this Friday afternoon. We're talking with Kate Glenn and Marissa Pizzi. They are both co-chairs uh, of the board of directors of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts, and we're talking about abortion and, of course, the recent Supreme Court case overturning Roe v. Wade and throwing abortion rights back to states and allowing states to restrict access to abortion. I want to throw this out. I don't know if this is a just sort of a rant or a, there must be a question in here. I would think if you were anti-abortion, uh, you would bend over backwards to be supportive of contraception. Yet we're looking at some of the, uh, hearing news about some of the Supreme Court justices who are looking at attempts to ban contraception as well, which strikes me as you know, using the words that you know we, we we can't use on the air. I mean, it's just it's 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 inc- it's insane to me. Can you well, talk a little not, about that? Not only the the uh, Supreme Court justices, but just was it yesterday? There was a vote in the House, and not everyone reaffirmed the constitutional right to contraception. This is kind of breaking news as of yesterday. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was um, a very small number of Republicans that voted to protect contraception, the access to contraception. So this is not just hypothetical now. And also, I think it's like it's deeper than, and this is why we have to see abortion as bigger than just a reproductive rights issue, because abortion is when we see it in the lens of reproductive justice, which is this beautiful concept, this movement, this this framework that was created by Black women that addressed that the reproductive rights movement wasn't really fully addressing all of our lives, right? It didn't address the the access issues the the amount of oppression that was compounding on black and brown bodies in the actual act of being able to re- even go about going towards your reproductive health care. And so reproductive justice really helps us think about that. And when we see abortion as a reproductive justice issue, we quickly see how fascism and white supremacy is at the core of this decision making, at the core of where why people are moving things forward, right? Like when you hear one of Donald Trump's um, people that he's supporting running for office on the day that the decision came out say thank you to him for protecting white lives is one of those moments where you go and there's the reality of what this argument has really always been about. It's about the replacement theory that you hear white supremacists speak to. It's about not having even one white fetus 
be terminated. They're, the numbers, it's about numbers. It's about majority. It's about staying in power. Because the reality is, statistics are showing that this country is becoming more brown every 10 years, right? The census shows us every 10 years, we get browner and browner and browner, and that scares the white supremacist. So we've started to see things where even fascism and white supremacy are entering into other movements, like environmental justice, where we're seeing what's called the greening of hate, where we're, people are actually creating an entire system of thinking around immigration that is based on the idea that brown people are gonna come in and replace the white people. And so that's what we're actually looking at. That's what we actually need to start to talk about. Let's, let's continue with this issue of racism and white supremacy. And maybe you've answered the question already, Marissa. But I would think that given um, the, the, the white supremacists and the racists among the, 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 the radical right, uh, that they would be pro-abortion. Right, because um, the majority of people who have abortions are black and brown people. Exactly. So there's this... <clears throat> Um, not there's this disconnect in reality almost. Can you talk a little more about that? Well, I, the, honestly, the disconnect is that there's white supremacy involved, right? Like white supremacy is not logical. White supremacy is consistently built to protect a particular group of people. White people with money was originally where mm -hmm. it was, was created for, right? But now it's become white people with money have realized, no, we have to keep our numbers large enough, right? So there is no logic to this. So you're not going to have logical decision-making. You're not going to have, right? If there was logical decision-making, then this wouldn't even be an issue because it would stay within the conversation in the doctor's office between the person and the medical provider. That's where that, that's where that conversation should end. But unfortunately, it's been politicized because, again, it's an entry point to the numbers, to making sure and feeding that, that replacement theory. This is the heart of that. And there's nothing logical about that. What, one of the other incredibly illogical things is that the same folks who are so adamant about individual rights, you know, how dare you mm. make me wear a mask and how dare you take away my gun, are the ones that, that, that are so strident about taking away the most fundamental of all mm -hmm. human rights, which is the right to, right to decide wh whether or not to have, have a child. We're talking with Kate Glenn and Marissa Pisi from the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. We just have a couple minutes left. If you were president, your co-director is now the Abortion Rights Fund. Now you are co-presidents for power invested in me by WHMP. I, <laughs> I do that you. for the next minute, I minute and a half. Um, <laughs> Is there a single piece of legislation you could get through Congress and pass through Congress regarding abortion? What, what would that look like? Bodily autonomy, pro-abortion. It would stop and end at that, right? It would end at bodily autonomy and people's right to choose for their own bodies, their own lives, their own, just their own families, right? Like the majority of people who are having abortions are already parents. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for us to actually be able to fully steer our own lives and feel joy and pleasure and all of the things that come with bodily autonomy. Um, Kate, you want to follow up on that? I was going to say bodily autonomy really sums up not only the abortion issue, but also so many other intersecting pieces in reproductive justice. It talks about gender affirming care. It talks about the right to life in terms of not being um, brutalized and murdered by the police and the state. It talks about so much. So yes, bodily autonomy, period. 
Um, unfortunately, we're just about out of time. How can people, once, once again, how can people get in touch with the Abortion Rights Fund in Western Massachusetts, and how can they be steered to other national abortion rights funds as well? So if you're an abortion seeker, I would encourage you to go to our website, which is arfwm.org or abortionrightsfund of westernmass.org and or call 413-582-3532 and you will get the support that you need. If you're interested in being a community supporter, we encourage you to go to the National Network of Abortion Funds and to consider donating to the... Um, donating across all the funds. They actually have set up this really great, robust fundraising opportunity for anyone to be able to donate into, to one li in one link, and it will send it to every single fund in the network. So you would be doing a lot of support across the country. We've been talking with Kate Glynn and Marissa Pisi. They are both uh, members of the boards of directors of the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts. Thank you so much for joining us. When we come back, we'll be joined with Bob Leverett. Bob is... Uh, Premier Old Growth Forest Evangelicist, and we're evangelic, evangelicist, is that, am I saying the word right? And <laughs> we'll be talking about Old Growth Forest. So uh, stay with us, and we'll be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. So here we are in the car, leaving traces of us down the boulevard. I want to fall through the stars. Getting lost in the dark is my favorite part. The Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family-run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. One person is dead following a crash in Wilbraham. The two-vehicle crash occurred at the intersection of Munson Road and Glendale Road. When emergency crews arrived, they found that there had been a collision between a dump truck and a sedan. The driver of the sedan, a 49-year-old man, was pronounced dead at the scene. The U.S. House of Representatives passed an amendment this week proposed by Congressman Jim McGovern that will defund a federal Veterans Affairs Commission that could have closed the VA in Leeds. In the National Defense Authorization Bill, we put an amendment to eliminate the commission. Uh, and then uh, in the appropriations, uh, considering appropriation bills, I just went in and, and defunded it. I not only took out the money that is there for it, but there's a provision in the military instruction appropriations bill that says that the VA has the ability to transfer from one account to another more money into this commission. I, I limited that, too. In March, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recommended the closing of its nearly century-old medical center in Northampton following a nationwide assessment that plans to modernize or realign facilities over the next several years. Amherst officials are reassessing four big projects due to changing economic conditions. The costs of building a new elementary school, renovating the Jones Library, constructing a new South Amherst fire station, and the new DPW headquarters have risen by about $40 million. Changing economic conditions, including rising interest rates and construction costs, are to blame. Partly sunny and breezy this afternoon. Watch out for an isolated shower, a high of 92 to 96. Scattered clouds tonight, overnight low of 62 to 68. Mostly sunny tomorrow, 92 to 96. Mid-90s and humid on Sunday with a chance of an afternoon storm. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Martha Graham, Mum and Chance, Blind Boys, Cherish the Ladies, 
Peking Acrobats, Ukraine Philharmonic, Nikki, and Stomp, all on their way to the UMass Fine Arts Center. Mum and Chance in their 50th year, Cherish the Ladies, A Celtic Christmas, the Martha Graham Dance Company with the Lost Graham Masterwork Canticle for Innocent Comedians. Snarky Puppy unleashes their ferocious improvisation. Nikki shines a ray of pop sunshine. And Gina Chavez blends the sound of the Americas with tension and grace. Dance, classical, jazz, theater, plus performances you just can't categorize. Stomp arrives for three performances. Head-turning trumpeter Sean Jones leads his quartet on stage, plus visits the UMass High School Jazz Festival. Plan now for a season of uplifting arts performances. Go to the UMass Fine Arts Center website for the full calendar and tickets. You want to feel important. You want to be part of something bigger, something that matters and can help change things. You want to feel like you belong. We know. We felt that way, too. And that's why we did something about it. We aren't just Army National Guard soldiers. We are normal people just like you. But our part-time service in the Army National Guard means we get to be more. When our communities are in need, we get the chance to stand up and do something about it. We get to serve in our own region and help the people we call neighbors. From the coasts of Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Jersey. The small communities of Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. To the dense forests of New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York, and historic Washington, D.C. We are here for our hometowns. And together, we can make a difference. Take on your legacy. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Aired by the Massachusetts Broadcasters Association at this station. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMT. Welcome back on this hot, hot, hot Friday afternoon. Buzz is on vacation. My name is Brian Adams, and I am filling in for Buzz. And I am delighted to have in the studio the premier old-growth forest evan evangelist and the discoverer of most of the 50-plus, 50-year-old uh, old, I'm sorry, 50-plus old-growth stands in Massachusetts, Bob Leverett and his wife, Monica Leverett. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Brian. So let's begin by describing exactly what an old-growth forest is. Bob? Well, an old-growth forest is a forest that has been managed by nature uh, and only nature for several centuries so that uh, the characteristics that we would see in the life forms that would be there are ones that are controlled by nature, not by us, and generally have a fairly decent component of old trees, meaning that for the species represented, they'd be, oh, maybe half the maximum age of, of the, each species and with a few approaching the absolute maximum. That would satisfy most definitions of old growth. So old, old is in how many hundreds of years? Well, it depends on the species. If we were talking about, for example, sugar maples, you know, they, they can live fairly easily to 250 years. Uh, hemlocks, over 400. We have one oh. in uh, Milwaukee Trail State Forest that we dated to over 500. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so depending on the species, anywhere from 150 to 500, and even older if you go down south to the swamps, 
and and look at the bald cypresses. We've dated them over a thousand years. In fact, on the east two, coast, we're not yeah. talking about the redwoods. No, and we're stuff. talking about bald cypress in Black River, North Carolina, wow. Virginia. Twenty six hundred and twenty seven years dated by David Staley Tree Ring Laboratory, University of Arkansas. Unbelievable. And, you argue, Bob, that we have a duty to protect old growth forests. Why? Why are they important? Well, they're important for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, they really represent the crucible from which um, forest life forms have emerged. Uh, we, we don't get orangutans in Borneo or uh, bird spiders in uh, bird-eating spiders, that is to say, in, in uh, Brazil by managing them and having just a few species that we want for our own purposes. So they are the crucible of of evolution and creation. In addition, they're links to the past. We, we can stand in front of a, a tree, an organism that has seen everything back through our historical beginnings, you know, the country, 1776 and before. Uh, and there's a spiritual component. I see that play out all the time. I could talk about that for a couple of hours. That spiritual component to being... Uh, in an old-growth forest and witnessing the majesty of trees that age. Yes. Yeah. Um, as I said in the introduction, Bob, you've been um, recognized as the discoverer of most of the 50-plus old-growth stands in Massachusetts. How, how do you discover an old-growth forest? Well, I, I would want to say that I had a lot of help. I had some excellent teachers along the way, but, you know, sometimes fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And when I retired from the U.S. Air Force and out of the Pentagon, came up here and started a business, um, I would not have been a likely person to be out finding old-growth forests. But I grew up in the southern Appalachians in the uh, shadows of the Great Smoky Mountains, so I knew what an old-growth, or we called them virgin forests in those days, looked like. And... Uh, my natural inclination was to get out, hike, climb mountains, etc. And I started seeing places that reminded me of uh, what I, I left in the, in the southern Appalachians. And I started inquiring, started a whole series of events. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, uh, you know, it was it was news. <laughs> it was the uh, uh, man bites dog story. And and it was news because. There were lots of folks before you really started your work who said there are no old growth forests in Massachusetts or even in New England, that all forests have been managed by people. They've been, you know, uh, cut down, they've been timbered, they've been logged for, and, and they don't exist. And you sort of raised your hand and said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, that's not true. But there, there were people before me. They just didn't uh, uh, make much of a splash most of those 50 stands, yes, I, I uh, or people that were working with me at the time, we did name them, uh, inventory the species that were there, <clears throat> study them formally. But there were a few others who preceded me, yet they their their voices were were not heard. Even one of them, uh, uh, Professor Robert Livingston from UMass, he knew there was old growth forest in Moore Trail State Forest. And he even studied uh, one of the places with his students. But that word never got out. And the people who presumably um, we listen to, people who write the articles, people who um, sign the copies and whatnot, they were saying 
the popular thing that by the middle of the 1800s, everything was fields and farms and whatever remained as woodlands were basically woodlots used for cutting cordwood and that sort of thing and that the original forests had disappeared. Well, most have. That's almost true. We have about 1,400 acres out of 5 million and 50,000 acres in Massachusetts. It's a pretty small percentage. 1,400 acres that are designated as old growth. Recognized, recognized by us as old growth, uh -huh. yes. Out of how many total acres in Mass? Well, if, if you take, you, you leave off the uh, water, the, you know, the, the but if, if you just take the land area of Massachusetts uh, and internal, well, it's about 5 million and 50,000 acres, wow. roughly. Wow. So, do you, Bob, do you tell people where these are? Do you lead people on trips? Or are you trying to, to keep them secret because of, uh, of safety to the trees themselves issues? Yes and yes. Uh, we started out, we had to uh, get support. And, and so we certainly alerted people that there was old growth forests uh, in places like Mohawk Trail State Forest. And some of that is accessible from the trail network. And I do lead walks on that because that's all out. That's on the Internet. That's everywhere. We don't take people into the uh, remote remote is a relative term, but less, least accessible parts, too much damage. And so we try to balance, run a balance, but we don't take people into places that, for example, on the Department of Conservation and Recreation property, if they want that protected, I will want it protected. It's mutual, but I would not take people into places that were sensitive. Are most of these old growth forests in public on public lands in protected areas, or are some in, in the hands of private? Some folks? in the hands of private, uh, and some in the, uh, are in conservation organizations. For example, Ice Glen in Stockbridge, it's owned by the town and is managed by Laurel Hill Association, and that's a fabulous place. But it's been visited; it has a trail right through the center of it. Uh, so there would be an example. Uh, uh, Bryant Woods and uh, Cummington on Bryant Homestead. That's uh, those are the, white the pines. Trustees. Is that the white pines in Bryant Homestead? That the uh, white pines are second growth. Uh -huh. The old growth is adjacent. Uh -huh. And and what trees are within that old growth on the? Well, there's a number of hardwoods. Hemlocks are the showpieces, but uh -huh. uh, sugar maples, uh, um, white ash, uh, red maple, a few other species. Um, Barb, you've done a lot of work in measuring the height of trees. And in fact, you've been instrumental in, in, in developing a technique that is much more accurate than what was out there. Can you talk a little bit about how do you figure out how tall a tree is? Well, you, you, first of all, you have to have a definition that fits and everybody agrees on. And it's the vertical separation from the highest point in the crown to the base. And if you can spot that point and you have a laser-based instrument, a laser rangefinder, for example, and you can get a hypotenuse distance directly from the eye to that point and then take an angle by some sort of an angle measure, then through the simple laws of uh, trigonometry, plane trigonometry, you can calculate the height of that point above your eye level. Then if you swivel around and do the same for the base and add the two numbers together, you've got it, except that a lot of instruments we have now do that for you. So you aim at the base and then you aim at the top and walla walla out comes a number on your display and that's the vertical separation of the two. 
But that didn't happen early on. We, we had a lot more uh, labor-intensive methods by which we. Uh, but we, it's all it's trigonometry and algebra. Um, which which you're making sound simple, but is really is really pretty complex. I know Bob in um, in Redwood National Park in Northern California. There's a coastal redwood coming in at 380 feet, I believe. Yeah, tallest, that's the Hyperion, the, the tallest living thing in the world. Hyperion. Hyperion is the name of that individual right. uh, individual tree. What is the tallest tree in New England that you know of? The Jake Swamp. White pine in Mark Trail State Forest at 176.2 feet as of 2019. Wow, 176.2 feet. And it's a white pine, is that what you said? Yes. In Mohawk State Forest. Mohawk Trail State Mohawk Forest. Trail. So those of you going out on Route 2, heading west, uh, before you come down that steep, actually as you're going up, right, is the, is the, is the state forest. And a wonderful spot to, yeah. to be looking at old growth forest. We're talking with Bob Leverett. Bob is an expert in old-growth forests mm. and old-growth forest stands and is really one of, the, one of the folks responsible for so much of the interest and so much of the work in protecting old-growth forests. Uh, stick with us, and we'll be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It's happening here in the Valley. We're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues or demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. In the mood for takeout? Want to find yoga classes, music lessons, or art supplies nearby? Save 30% on full-value gift certificates to dozens of local businesses and services from Springfield to Brattleboro and everywhere in between. Whether it's a quick bite for lunch, something nice for a special occasion, or just an excuse for some good old retail therapy. Save 30% on full-value gift certificates at the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Lundgren Honda. Experience it. Now, it isn't just one thing. It is everything you expect when you're looking for your next car, your first car, or to repair your car. Award-winning customer service, no-hassle negotiation-free pricing, and friendly, familiar faces you know and trust with your vehicle. All that and the best selection, the most pre-owned vehicles you'll find anywhere in Franklin County and beyond. Over 100 to choose from, including five Honda Civics in stock, five HRVs, five CRVs, and over over 20 half and three quarter ton pickup trucks in stock and ready to roll. Lundgren Honda is constantly loading up on inventory, so experience it. The best selection of new and used vehicles in the tri-state region for the best price you'll find anywhere. 
Consumer Satisfaction Award winners two years running. Lundgren Honda proudly provides you with an award-winning experience. See the latest selection of new and certified pre-owned cars at 409 Federal Street and LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience it. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19, and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5. Welcome back on this steamy Friday afternoon. My name is Brian Adams, and we're talking with Bob Leverett, who was an expert in old-growth forests, and we're talking about these remarkable stands of trees that exist in Massachusetts and New England that date back hundreds of years old. Bob, I was reading about stuff and trying to do my due diligence for this afternoon's interview, and uh, we all know the importance of trees in mitigating climate change. Trees, through this unbelievable process of photosynthesis, act as carbon sinks. They take up carbon dioxide, they lock it in. Uh, and if the goal is to minimize climate change, trees are part of that part of that solution. And I've always thought that um, new forests and and uh, and regrowing forests. Uh, make the most sense because these are new trees, they're vibrant, they're just sucking up that carbon. But you've provided a lot of data that older trees actually act as a carbon sink in in quite a remarkable way as well. Can you talk about that? Well, um, there's advantage to being big because if you have a, an, enough form, let's say 500 cubic feet of trunk space, a very narrow additional uh, growth ring and maybe four or five or six inches of additional height uh, will add up to maybe five or six or seven cubic feet of new wood. Now, if you take a very small tree, a sapling for whatnot, it is growing fast. That is true. Uh, and on a percentage-wise basis in particular. But the actual absolute amount of additional uh, volume and their ergo biomass and from that carbon that is added is quite small. It has to get bigger before that number is bigger. So it isn't a question of percentages, it's a question of absolute amount. So uh, a lot of these trees really do uh, their most work, well, not when they're 500 years old, but when they're 100 years old, 120, 130 years old, or maybe starting at 60 to 120 years in that period of time and, and older, uh, then they're actually gaining at the tree level, they're gaining the most additional, um, well, they're putting on the most additional growth in an absolute sense. 
the percentage growth will be quite small. And putting an, an absolute growth means taking more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere yes. and locking it up. And again, trees as an essential component in our battle against climate change. Let's talk about climate change. What uh, Have you seen an impact of climate change, or do you anticipate that on some of the old growth stands? Well, we think we're seeing all kinds of impacts, some of them negative, some of them maybe positive. The extra CO2, I'm seeing a lot of these trees grow quite rapidly. And, and I've seen that for a number of years, <clears throat> that they seem to be outdoing uh, what, what silviculturists would expect for the species for the age. On the other hand, uh, it puts the extra heat drought, et cetera, puts the trees under stress. And then, of course, we have the, the problem of invasives coming in, um, either native to further away, but in the country or coming from overseas somewhere. So it's, it's a mixed story there. Let's talk about that because some of our listeners may not be familiar with the word invasives. By invasive species, what are you talking about and why would this represent a threat to old trees? Well, <clears throat> anything... Uh, bittersweet is a vine, kills a tree. Um, if you take up enough space, growing space around the edges of, you know, a stream with Japanese knotweed, uh, you know, you go on forever. But there are a lot of invasives that that very quickly strangle or, or replace the native species. Now, it doesn't happen so much in the, in the interior of old-growth forests. They've got a certain amount of protection from that, but sooner or later it does happen. And the more you open them up, so the worst thing you can do is go in and open them up whatever, by whatever means and allow a lot of sunlight to come flooding in. And then if there are uh, seed sources for uh, alien plants, particularly ones coming from you know, Asia, Europe, or wherever, then they take... Uh, they hold and replace the native vegetation. Invasives love disturbance, so sure. they tend to tend to move in on that. Um, Bob, let's talk a, a, about how Massachusetts or other states are doing in old growth forest preservation. Are you pleased with what the state government and not just in our state, Massachusetts, but other states have done? Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Our state did very well under uh, a past governor. Uh, uh, in in which back in 2011 or so, we established a forest reserve system. And most of the old growth on Department of Conservation Recreation lands are in those reserves and they're protected. Uh, so uh, there, there are those forces out there, plenty of them, uh, but they don't, other people <laughs> don't necessarily want... Uh, those lands locked all locked away. And what can listeners do if they're interested in protecting old growth forests? Are there steps folks can take to help promote this on the state or even local level? Sure, uh, you you can educate yourself first of all, so that you have some idea of what it is that you would want to protect, and then stay in touch with your your state representatives and whatnot. Um, and and uh, if I may. Uh, support organizations um, or causes that lead to the preservation. For example, just if I may give a, a quick uh, example, uh, Monica and I have a the Monica and Bob Leverett Forever Wild Fund uh, we maintain with Kestrel Land Trust. 
and that's to buy land and to uh, uh, preserve it forever while. So there's an active component that ha- that goes on, and, and the public can get involved in these kind of things. We had on the show last week Tom Riccardi, uh, Raptor Rehabilitator, and he had brought in a kestrel uh, into the show. It's a radio <laughs> show, but he still brought it in, so that was fun to see. And, <laughs> and we talked about how fortunate we are in the Valley um, to have so many vibrant land trusts uh, that do such good work, and kestrel is one of those. And, and let me repeat that. It's the Monica and Bob Leverett Forever Wild Fund at Kestrel that folks can donate to that um, will help them in their work to lock up lock up land. Again, Kestrel is one of those land funds, uh, and there's quite a, quite a few others as well. Uh, we have just about a minute left. The spiritual component to the trees, can you talk just, just for a, a, a little bit about that? What is, what is it like to be standing under a an old growth, a stand of old growth forest? Well, you sense uh, uh, the passage of great amounts of time and, and the survivability of, of the tree or, the, or, or the, the landscape, and it feels different. Uh, it's a, it takes quite a bit of time to absorb what's there, and you have to do it in a meditative state. But it just it affects just about everybody. Almost everybody I take in on walks into all areas that way they feel it. I use them as uh, the power of uh, of the place. Um, and I think uh, Monica, who's here as well, was talking about a T-shirt that you had, which was "May the Old Growth Forest Be With You." Yes, and that's a T-shirt that um, I got at Bryant Woods in Cummington, trustees of reservation property. Well, thank and you. I'm sorry to, to yeah. interrupt, but we, we got to end. Thank you so much, Bob Leverett and his wife, Monica, uh, talking about old growth for us. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for uh, being with us on this steamy Friday afternoon. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. It be so nice to come home to. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015-1400-1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Here's a slice of advice about pizza boxes. It's okay to recycle the entire pizza box as long as it's empty. For a long time, greasy boxes were assumed to cause recycling The only live and local talk in the valley and for the valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 5 o'clock.